Hello, everyone. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is March 29th. We got a lot of stuff in the news this week. We have a U.S. Open Bank Pool champion and a U.S. Open One Pocket champion. And just to make things easier, they're both Shane Van Boning. Shane defeated Neil Jacobs for the hot seat and again in the finals in the Bank Pool event. And he defeated Oscar Dominguez and then Ronnie Alcano in the finals in the One Pocket. Both of those events were at Griff's in Vegas. The eight-day Scotty Townsend Memorial took place at Arena Billiards in West Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, four different events. Tony Chohan won the ring 10-ball. James Aranis beat Alex Pagulayan in the open 9-ball event. Kelly Isaac won the ladies' nine ball, and Alex came back and beat Francisco in the one-pocket event. While this is being taped, we've got a couple big events going on out there. Uh, all the way out in Sweden, the Interpool Open uh, is going on. 168 players in the Open division. Those tournaments over in Europe just draw huge, huge numbers. Um, some of the big guns in that one are Darren Appleton, Marcus Shamat, Ruslan Chinahoff, Joshua Filler, Mika Eminen. I believe Mika won that one last year. Besides the open event, there's also a 10-ball challenge event with all of the big guns competing. I think there's that looks like a 16-player field. You can follow that at interpoolopen.com, and the link will be in the notes for the show. Another huge event going on right now in Yushan, China, is the fourth Yaki Group Chinese Pool World Championship. Uh, Jason Shaw was out there. They're down to four players in each division right now. Uh, Chris Melling is going to play Yu Bo Zheng in the finals. And since they pay third place more than fourth place, Shi uh, Han King and Wan Tan Gli, I'm sure I butchered those names, will play for third place. Um, in the ladies' division, Sha Sha Lu is going to play Han Yu for first and second, while Ga Young Kim plays Wang Yi for third and fourth. And of course, all of those results will be available on AZ Billiards within the next couple of days. This week, I had a chance to talk to two different guests. First off is Shirley Ang. Shirley is the new director for the World Pool Series. And they have some changes coming up in the way those events are going to run. So I had a chance to talk to Shirley about that. And then I had a chance to talk to Melinda Bailey again. Uh, we talked about one of the columns that she wrote about opponents taking breaks and sharking and confidence and, and all kinds of things. It's always fun to talk to Melinda. So without any further ado, here is Shirley Ang from the World Pool Series. All right, I'm very happy to be joined now by Shirley Ang. Shirley is all the way out in Malta. Shirley, how's your day going? It's going really well. It's actually 1 a.m. right here, um, but it's been a good day. Good, good. Um, so you are the new member of the World Pool Series team. Yes, I am. Can you tell us how that came together? Um, I've known Darren Appleton for quite a while. I think I met him somewhere around 2006. Yeah, probably about 2006. So we've been uh, friends for a while. Um, I met him either during a Euro tour or a qualifier for the IPT, where he was in Weert in the Netherlands, where he used to run tournaments. And um, I've known him for a while. I was there. Uh, I organized a surprise party for him when he won his first world championship 
in Barnsley, we celebrated that. So I've known him for a while and we met each other again in Vegas last year during the, the BCA. And we talked about the World Pool Series. I, I still stay involved in with the World Pool Series uh, to see what's happening. But I haven't been running tournaments for quite a while. So we talked about the World Pool Series and I provided him some feedback from an outsider view. And then I saw him again in December during the Moscone Cup when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we talked about it again. And then he asked me in January if I wanted to join the World Pool Series as a general manager. So I said yes. <laughs> now, your pool background, you said that you had done some Euro Tour stuff? Yeah, well, um, I actually started playing around 2003. I even started playing the local leagues. Uh, with my team and I had a lot of fun and I got involved into running the tournaments in the local pool club in Rotterdam. Then I started helping the National Federation with the regional tournaments, the regional ranking tournaments. And from there onwards, I made my way up into running bigger national and international tournaments in the pool club in Rotterdam and even getting involved with the European Pool Federation, the EPBF. Uh, helped out at European Championships and Euro Tours. That's quite a resume. Yeah, and that was like within two years of me starting to play pool. And then I moved to England in 2006. Um, I started helping running the BPPA, which was the British Federation at the time. And then I set up my own tour together with my, uh, at that time, boyfriend which is the GB9 ball tour. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, now, you said that when you met or when you spoke to Darren in at the Moscone Cup that you had given him some suggestions. Uh, can you talk about what those were? Yes, I can. I, I thought, in my opinion, that uh, the World Pool Series was doing well, but they could do better with uh, better media coverage. As we all know, the pool world is very limited at the moment. It's it's not reaching the big audiences that we want it to reach. And I think with a few little things that he could change, that it could become better. It's not a guarantee, but it, they were suggestions. And some of those suggestions were hopefully putting in place this year. I noticed one of the changes you made is not necessarily uh, a change to get more media coverage, but last season was all eight ball, and this season uh, there's going to be different games at different events? Yes. Um, eight ball is the probably the most played discipline in the world of pool, all over the world, although everybody plays with different rules. Uh there's different rule sets everywhere, which I'm not really sure why, <laughs> but they are. And um, I think a lot of the fans or people that don't know how the official rules are wouldn't understand what the World Pool Series are doing or what the rules were. Nine Ball, on the other hand, for example, is a much easier game to understand. And also... Unfortunately, maybe for some people, it's more exciting to watch. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and what we wanted to try this year is something totally new. Seeing that we have four events, we wanted to give uh, the three disciplines that we think are the most attractive. So that's eight ball, nine ball, and ten ball. A spotlight 
during the first three events. And during the grand final, we wanted to give the fans a vote to see which game did they prefer the most and would they, what they want to see. That's interesting. That's the first time I've seen uh, a format like that where the fans get a chance to decide what the final game is. Um, where did that idea come from? Well, I was trying to find a way of uh, combining all three disciplines, but it's very hard to do that during one tournament. And we came up with several ideas. We had a big brainstorming session of about three hours uh, over Skype with the team on what we could do to make it a bit more exciting, do something different than everybody else is already doing. And we had ideas like, let's do a race to nine on eight ball and then a race to nine on nine ball and the player that wins the leg can decide which discipline they play first. And we had all kinds of wild ideas. But we also want to make sure with the media coverage that I'm talking about that uh, we want to increase our fans' interaction. We wanted to give the fans a vote and they can show us what they prefer. So we decided to do something like this. In the American pool scene, um, it seems like we see tours pop up and disappear. And I mean, you obviously being involved with pool the way you have, have a pretty good idea how difficult it is to to bring sponsors on board and to really build something. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case with with this. I mean, you guys seem to have, you know, like like we've talked about, uh, you know, making changes, tweaking things to make it better. Uh, what did you learn or, or, well, since you weren't involved, maybe the question better is, what did Darren and the team learn from the first season? I think... Um... We might seem to do it so much easier than it is in reality. Um, I personally am working on the tour when I'm at home because I also have two other jobs. I am working on the tour probably about 12 to 15 hours a day. And it's hard work, but we try to make it look as easy as possible to the outside world. (laughs) I think what they learned is that um, they needed to be a little bit more professional in the organization and be more organized instead of doing a lot of the things last minute. Due to certain circumstances last year, a lot of it of the organization fell on Darren's shoulders and that also affected his quality of play, I guess you could say. And he realized that and we talked about it. And that's also the reason why he wanted to add me to the team so I can take a lot of the pressure off him. Okay. Yeah. He, I mean, I could see, you know, towards the end of the year, he, he seemed to be, you know, everything was, was weighing on his shoulders and, and he's dealt with a lot. Um, something that I'm curious about, it was talked about, Right after the U.S. Open, the World Pool Series event that took place after the U.S. Open, when so many American players played in the Open, but they didn't then move on to play in the World Pool Series event. Does it seem that the European players support the tour better than the U.S. players? And if so, why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I I don't know the U.S. uh, pool scene too well. I know the big players, of course. Um, I know them by name, by face. I don't know all of them personally because I've mainly been involved in the European pool world. Uh, please note that I've been out of this pool world since 2010. 
That's okay. the last tournament I ran. So I uh, moved on to a different industry by that time. So I'm not sure why. It could be that they were just had enough of playing pool and wanted a break. Or maybe they are not sure that they can earn enough money doing this. I know that in America there's a lot of tournaments every weekend and there's always something to play somewhere. And maybe they didn't want to play anymore or they were just tired. I'm not sure. I can't really judge that. I'm just hoping that they will this year. Uh, not after the US Open, of course, but after the tournament that Pat Fleming is putting on. You're right. There are a lot of regional tournaments, uh, a lot of bar table tournaments with high entry fees. It seems like Darren is trying to build something different, though. He's trying to build a professional tour with not huge paydays. I mean, we're not talking IPT money, but decent money for the players who perform well. Um, do you think, am I correct? Is that what he's the direction that he's trying to go here? Kind of. I think, um, well, I'm pretty sure. Our opinion is that we want to make the World Pool Series the best tour in the world. And for the best players to compete or for the players to compete against the best players. In my opinion, uh, like you said, there's a lot of bar table tournaments and everything. I'm not sure if Americans will agree with me, but America used to be the country to go to, to play pool, to make money, to compete against the best, together with the Philippines. But I feel that lately the Europeans and the Asians have really gone up in the rankings and kind of are kind of crushing most of the Americans. I'm not saying all of them, there's of course Shane, but even Shane is not even going to all of the tournaments abroad anymore. And I think to get better for yourself, you need to compete with the best. And we're trying to set up an environment for people to compete with the best. And at the moment, it might only be four tournaments, but we have a vision that it will be more than four tournaments in the future. Um, I, one day we will be a qualifier for even bigger tournaments. Um, there will be other locations all over the world organizing qualifiers to get a spot in the World Pool Series. Uh, in the future, I want to run feeder tours, maybe even do other smaller tournaments. I want to do way more than just these four tournaments, but we have to start with the basics and making sure that they're of the best quality with the best players. And, and that was going to be my last question. I'm sure you saw uh, Barry Hearn's video last week with his his vision for the U.S. Open. Can you can you elaborate a little bit further on your vision for the World Pool Series? I want the World Pool Series, like I said, I want the World Pool Series to be the go-to tour of the world. I want all the best players from every continent to come over to our tournaments. I want to run tournaments, not just in the US, I want to run tournaments all over the world and make it a real World Pool Series. And that's the end goal, I guess. That's the big dream. And what do you think has to happen in order to build that? Bigger sponsors, of course. Um, not just industry sponsors, also outside sponsors. Look at iGaming companies like the casinos and the g gambling world. Um, there's a lot of money that they can sponsor and invest in our tour to make it the best thing ever. Um, but it also depends on the players and the fans. They have to support the tour. 
If a pro player can't even be bothered to show up for a World Pool Series that is might might be an hour drive away, then we're not reaching that goal. And I don't understand why that player wouldn't play if he thinks he's one of the best players. Well, I think that's a fair question. Do you feel that... To try to put it politely, um, yes. you know, the Asian players, the European players, they want to be the absolute best player they can be. Um, their, their diet, their exercise regimen, anything and everything that they can do to give themselves just that little edge and make them play a little bit better, they're going to look into. But there doesn't seem to be that same enthusiasm from U.S. players in that they want to do everything they can to be better. I mean, Shane is a completely different different animal, of course. Um, you know, when you see Shane at a tournament and in between matches, he's spending hours and hours working on his game and working on a shot that may have come up in a previous match. But Shane is very different than other American players. He, I don't see other players, you know, they... They put in the time, they get to the table, they play their match, but then they don't seem to want to think about it again until they move on to their next match. True. And I don't know why. I don't know. It might be something in the mentality. It might be because the European pool scene is set up totally different. Um, Like we have leagues. I know you have them in America, but we have like dress codes during our league games. Uh, We have rules. We have, we even have doping tests. Um, and I know that if you look at the European pools in so many of the young kids that are coming up, they're amazing players, but they also have a great discipline, I think. And I'm not sure that's entirely the same for American players. And like I said, I don't want to be negative about American players, but it just from an outsider view, it looks a bit like they're not trying as hard. And I'm not sure why. And I would really like to know why and how we can change that. But that's also something that the World Pool Series wants to do. We want to, like I said, we want to set up smaller tournaments and for maybe the lower ranking players and see what we can develop there. Well, I, I think that's a... I think, first of all, you're right in that it is a mystery and I don't know what the answer is there, but... It sounds like your goals are are in the right direction, and and you guys seem to have a plan to get where you're going, and that's something that you know you got to start with. And we don't have that from a whole lot of other sides right now. So you know, I wish you all the luck in what you're doing. Now, your first event is when uh, the nineteenth to the twenty second of April, and. It's in New York in Steinway Billiards, and um, they've been hosted all the previous events too. Um, but the first event will definitely be there at least. Oh, so you're there's chances you would move it to other rooms. There's always a chance. <laughs> Not the first event because I've already booked the hotel and stuff. But uh, there are chances. Like like I said, we want to be an evolving tour. We don't want to stand still and go with whatever always used to work. Because if you stand still, other people will catch up. And I don't want that. <laughs> I understand completely. Okay, well, like you said, it was 1 o'clock when we started. It's got to be even later there. I, I realize you keep pool player hours, but I still don't want to keep you much later. 
thanks for your time today, Shirley. And uh, hopefully we can get together after that first event and, and see how that one went. Thank you very much. And I just hope that the pool players and the fans will support us. All right, Shirley, again, I thank you for your time and we will talk to you in a month or so. Okay, thank you very much. One thing that we did not talk about in that interview, since that took place yesterday, on Wednesday, uh, the news broke today that Bo Runningen and Ra Hanna were going to be joining the World Pool Series team this year. They'll be helping to provide media coverage for all the events. So congratulations to Bo and Ra. Okay, let's move on to the conversation I had with Melinda Bailey. I'm joined now by Melinda Bailey. It's been, God, it's been since the first episode since we heard from you. I know, I've noticed that you're just dissing me and stuff, but that's all right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) I told you we were only going to use you for special episodes. Is that what it was, or only when you need time to fill? Little of column A, little of column B. (laughs) <laughs> all right so you've been busy apparently you have all kinds of free time because you wrote three <laughs> different write-ups this this week just this week well i told you my goal is to do 10 to 12 i mean 10 to 15 blog posts a month right so when i get to the last week and i only have 10 done then i gotta kind of catch up <laughs> to reach my so goal saying you've been slacking Yes, I have. <laughs> I was surprised when I looked at it. I was like, golly, have I done nine or ten? Yeah, I need to do something about that. You had an interesting one on Monday, not about taking breaks, but about how to, how to handle your opponent taking breaks. Yes. And I, it was interesting because I'm sitting on my couch on a Saturday and I get this message from a girl who's in a pretty big tournament, a friend of mine, and she's like, hey, how do you handle your opponents taking breaks on you? And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, here, let me give you some tips because, you know, it was. she said that she was jumping up fast in a lot of matches, and every single person she played was taking a break. And she was playing in a tournament where she's playing people that she doesn't normally play. It was kind of like a national tournament sort of thing. And so she's running into a lot of players she doesn't know, and they're – pulling this move on her and um what i've learned over the years <laughs> if it's right or wrong but what i've learned is to figure out how it's affecting you so if you look at people taking a break as they just need to regroup or they need to go to the bathroom then don't let it affect you and just when they get back just continue where you left off however if you look at it as they're trying to shark me, they're trying to slow me down, they're doing it because I'm ahead, then, in my opinion, you need to punish them when they get back to the table. <laughs> and I hate to say that and everything because it's actually kind of hard to punish people. But, you know, if you – I mean, don't do it in a way to where you're angry or upset or anything. Just, you know, just play harder, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But don't let it get to you is, is the main thing. And you always – of course, I reminded her to focus on things that you can control because you can't control them taking a break. The only thing you can control is how you react and how you handle it. And so if you're one of those people that's <laughs> sounds funny, but if you're one of those people that's always warm and fuzzy and always thinking positive, then just look at you. Know, you're going to naturally think, well, they're just 
you know, they're just trying to regroup and it's okay if they take a break, you know, <laughs> but if you, if you really think that they're trying to shark you, then that's my, my suggestion is to either try to look at it positively or try to punish them. One of the two. <laughs> and you've referred to it as, as pulling a move and, and trying to shark them. Do you really feel that that's a shark move? When people take a break? Yeah. Um, it depends on my mindset. You know what I mean? Like, if I feel pretty comfortable, if I don't have a lot of distractions, if I'm not being thinking negative, I won't think anything of it. I'll be pretty confident in my game, and I'm not worried about them. But I have seen, and people have told me, that they deliberately take breaks. And when I ran the ladies' tour... Uh, let's say the certain player wants their name. Let's call her Jane. And so if Jane walks by and goes to the bathroom, the tournament directors, we would look at each other and say, oh, she must be down in the match. Because we knew, I mean, that was her MO. She would take a break when she was down in a match. I mean, I, I mean, I could, I mean, I could predict when it would happen. But when she would go take a break, it wasn't because she had to pee, because she was trying to, it could have been regrouping, but it was also, we always knew that it was because she was down in a match. Whether that's sharking or regrouping or whatever you want to call it, she did it. And so my girlfriend that reached out to me, it's kind of funny because her and I never take breaks. Like, I mean, i got to be physically ill or i got to be peeing in my pants for me to take a break. It's just not something we do. And so when people do it against us, we kind of look at it kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> It doesn't make sense to us because we don't do that. And um, why you don't think people do it deliberately? Well, I think they do it deliberately. I think, I mean, years and years ago I was doing a stream and I don't remember which player it was that coined the phrase uh, mental weed pulling. But, you know, I, I guess that's what you're talking about in in, you know, trying to clear your head. I guess I always looked at it not so much as trying to get into your opponent's head, but to try to clear your own. Right. That's And that's why I say that you look at it either, either as they're trying to regroup and don't get it to get to you and try not to look at it as they're trying to shark you. I was playing in a tournament in Florida when I was playing on the ladies tour back then. And I was up on this girl. I don't even remember who it was. Well, she went to the bathroom and like five of my friends came over and like, don't let it get to you. Hit some balls. You take a break too. And I was just like, I mean, I didn't even, <laughs> it didn't even face me. She took a break. Well, if anything, they drew my attention to the fact that she was taking a break and trying to shark me. And I was like, I didn't even, like, I didn't even know it, you know, at the time. Cause I was so, I was so green back then, you know, but I mean, I just didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind that, she was doing it as a move. A move. It was the weirdest thing. Well, you've talked in the past about how you don't like people telling you anything during a match. Right. But this was a long time ago when I first started really getting serious. And so, I mean, I just didn't. So what? So here's what's funny is, is I took a break because everyone's like, you got to take a break too. You got to take a break too. You know, don't let her get to you. So I took a break and it threw my game off because I took a break because I don't take breaks. <laughs> it's just, and I ended up losing. And then the one girl on the ladies tour, I mentioned that every time she goes to the bathroom, we joke that, well, not joke, I guess. Yeah, we're joking. Oh, she must be down on a match. 
she comes back and she almost wins like almost every time. It's the weirdest thing. And part of it is her regrouping, but part of it is the other opponent is her opponent thinking she's trying to get to me. So you just, you know, you just kind of, you really just have to stay in the moment and, and focus on what you can control. Could you turn the whole concept around on its head and say, I'm in her head because she's taking a break and she can't handle the firepower I'm throwing at her? Yes, absolutely. Did your friend win? I think she ended up winning. I think she ended up winning all three matches that she was talking about that it happened. Yeah. But And she asked me afterwards. I mean, she didn't ask me in the middle of the tournament. She asked me like at the end of the day or something. Oh, okay. But she was just like, you know, she was like, how do I handle this? You know, it kept happening and, you know, and because they would eventually come back and then creep up on her on the score. Um, and so it, you know, kind of bothered her that, you know, that that was happening. But in um, Winning Ugly, uh, which is a, a highly recommended book by me, <laughs> uh, by Brad Gilbert, and, and it's not about sharking or anything. It's about really knowing yourself and your opponents. Um, but one thing that Brad Gilbert says, and this is about tennis, but it can relate to pool so much, is that in every match when we're ahead, the other opponent always comes back starts to come back and so what you have to realize is when that happens you just you don't freak out about it you know <laughs> oh my god I was up six to zero now it's six to five you know you don't freak out about it you just accept the fact that it normally happens I mean it's just kind of a natural thing that happens and um, you just don't let it get to you and since you know that and you know that that's kind of a normal thing then you just wait for your opportunities to seal the match seven zero do you find that it's difficult to not get lazy when you're up 6-0 or 5-0? I know I, when I used to play, I, I was bad about that. I'd get up and I'd think, you know, certainly they're going to leave me a three or four ball out for that last game. I don't have to make my own opportunities anymore. I think that when you compete enough, you finally don't become lazy because you had, you know, a hundred games where you were up five to zero and then you lose seven to five because you got lazy. And so it's just through experience, unfortunately on the wrong end, but it's through <laughs> experience that you realize that you can't get lazy at all and you just have to beat them seven zero. That's, and it's funny. I read that in a, <clears throat> in a magazine, Jeanette Lee said that she said that she goes to the table and her, her mindset is I'm going to beat them seven zero or nine zero, whatever, whatever the score is. And it's really pretty interesting to hear that because if you think of that way, then you won't get lazy either, <laughs> you know? And I just, I, I love that. I just loved her quote because it just, if you really do that, if you really walk to the table and think I'm going to beat them seven zero, the laziness isn't there. Thinking about things isn't there. Your goal is just to beat them as much, you know, as much as you can. And the question that comes to mind, and I know this can be taken the wrong way, but do you find, as a female, that it's harder to have that killer instinct than maybe some of the the male players? Absolutely, yes. Because 
And I was actually thinking this when we were talking about it. So when I first started playing and even, you know, even six years ago, you know, which, you know, I've been playing 10, 15 years by that time. If I'm playing a friend and I'm up five to zero, I start letting down because I, I, I don't, I don't play as hard because I feel bad for him. And, uh, and next thing you know, it's five, five. And next thing you know, they beat me <laughs> because, because I felt bad that they weren't on the board. You know what I mean? And it's really, and if anything, it's, it's ironic that you asked me that because if anything, the, the book winning ugly by Brad Gilbert actually taught me the, the killer instinct. Cause before that I didn't have it. I used to always joke that when girls, play each other they hug and cry after they play <laughs> whereas whereas guys when they play each other they just want to they want to beat each other even if they're best friends you know whereas girls don't do that you know we it's just kind of a, a thing <laughs> that we it's tough for us to have and um so yeah brad gilbert's book really helped me you know forget that i'm playing a friend and play my best at all time and not hug and cry afterwards and <laughs> You know, all that type of stuff, type of stuff. But isn't that, <clears throat> isn't that difficult? It seems to me that at the regional tour level, like the Olivier Tour or the Florida Tour that you were playing on, there is a percentage of players on that tour who see it as a social gathering. Yes. And then there's another smaller percentage who are there to try to play their best, to try to beat everybody 7-0 and move on to the next stage. How does the how do the two come together and coexist properly? Well, the the amateurs and the ones who are there socially just keep getting beat <laughs> until they get the killer instinct, until they want to move to the next level, until they, you know, realize they're not playing friends um it's just it's kind of you know i joke about my blogs called pool as a journey but it's kind of part of the journey you know because everyone started out socially you know and everyone was on teams at league that you know you were just there to play and then you got better and better and next thing you know you know you're not just on the average team you want to be on the best team and then you're beating all these other people and it's just kind of a, a natural progression of of people that want to improve, you know, some people will always be the C player and they're fine with that. But, uh, eventually, and sometimes it takes years and sometimes, you know, not years, <laughs> but eventually everyone, I think goes through that phase of the social. And then all of a sudden they're winning all the time and, and being very competitive all the time. I mean, it takes a long time to, to have the killer instinct if you don't already have it. And so I was social for years and years. I mean, I still wanted to win, but I was social. But once I, you know, stopped hugging and crying after matches, and, <laughs> and once I figured out the killer instinct, and, you know, once everything come to, came together, it was, it, I, you know, it's, I shouldn't say easy, but it's natural to just, you know, play your best, want to be top in the ranking, want to move to the next, next level, all that type of stuff. I guess that makes sense. Uh, I, would, I would think that there would be occasions when the social player would get offended because, you know, oh, look, I drew Melinda, and then Melinda's not there to talk to me like normal. You know, she's not, <laughs> she's not smiling. She didn't give me a hug before the match. What's going on here? 
Well, I mean, we, you know, we still, we still give hugs and stuff like that. But once, once you lag or once you flip, there's, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, we are still, I mean, I say we, but I mean, even those of us that want to be first and want to be first in the rankings and have the killer instinct. I mean, we're still, we're still friendly and stuff. I mean, some girls aren't, but you know, it's, it's, I think a lot of, I think a lot of the players that are social know, you know, they know when they understand that, you know, they they know that, you know, some players are going to be friendly and some aren't. And so I don't think, I don't think they think anything of it because, you know, because afterwards I'm going to say hello. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to hug them, not cry this time, but <laughs> I'm going to hug them and stuff and be friendly. But during it, I may not, but I don't think that they, I mean, maybe if it's their first tournament and they don't know me, but otherwise I don't think it's a big deal. Okay. I don't think so. Maybe we should have some of them on and see what they think. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because I, I mean, I distinctly remember a match I had when I was, I don't know, uh, trying to think how old I was, maybe, maybe 27 or something. And I was playing a friend of mine and, uh, it was social for me. And, um, I mean, I've never forgotten this, this day, this match. And, um, she's a friend of mine. We're playing, everything's going cool. And, uh, she had me like five to zero or something. And she had like an easy combo and she went for it and it really pissed me off. And then she did something else that, you know, she didn't run out. She made a combo and I was livid. I mean, I was like, you just speared me in the heart. I can't believe you did that. We're friends. And you wouldn't let me win one game, and I just kind of <laughs> lost it. And um, so, what you're asking me, I guess I've done. I've been on the receiving end. I mean, of of that exact thing, because you know, I thought we were friends. I didn't, you know. And she had a killer instinct, and now I respect that. Now I see, wow, she beat someone who was a friend, who was even kind of whining and crying, you know, and she still beat me. And that's what you're supposed to do. And it takes. And it took me years to figure out that that's what she was supposed to do. So you're what? So you reminded me that I'm I'm that I was that social person too that got hurt. <laughs> so maybe they do. Maybe we do. We did all get hurt, and the social ones that play now they they do get offended sometimes. But eventually they'll realize it's we're friends off the table, not on the table. That's what my friend Lisa Marr used to always say. Have you ever had to be that other person and, and explain to a friend, you know, hey, look, I, I'm sorry, I, I beat you 7-0. You know, I, I don't want you to lose a match, but we're not friends when they call our names on a loudspeaker. Well, it's funny you say that, too, because uh, <laughs> I had that happen to me. I was playing a friend of mine in Houston. Never forget this, too. And I three-fouled her. I think I was up like 4-0 or something. And I three-fouled her. And, um, she got really mad at me and we, our friendship was almost cost um, because of it. But what she told me was, is she says, you know, you didn't have to three file me. And I, and I, and I, I, you know, I'm female, you know, emotional. And I started crying when we talked about it a couple of days later, cause she wouldn't talk to me the rest of the tournament. And I was crying about it, telling her, I said, you know what? I said, I'm trying so hard to get the killer instinct. I said, I'm trying so hard to get it. And then you get mad at me when I do something to try to win that I, that's legal to do. You know what I mean? And so it was a really tough conversation and she didn't, 
she didn't at the time she didn't understand that you know i can i can three foul you if i have the opportunity and that i'm doing whatever i can to win and i'm sorry it's not social for me anymore you know i'm here to try to win i'm trying to get the killer instinct and then she gets mad at me for it <laughs> but it was a huge stepping stone or an accomplishment for me to finally you know, think about it as, as you know, not a friendship and to try to win. And then she got mad at me for it. <laughs> so, yes, I have been on, in, on that end of it. And and now she's she's much better and she, you know, completely understands what happened. But it took, you know, it took us all to when we our, our game to improve to a certain level to really see that. When you were discussing that and you were saying, you know, why wouldn't I do something that was completely within the rules to try to win a game? I flashed back to the conversation about taking a break. And I guess that's where I saw the difference, because in my mind, sharking is, you know, jingling coins in your pocket when your opponent's down on a ball or or standing in their line of sight or or something like that. But I mean, taking a break is completely within the rules assuming you don't take multiple breaks during a match. So I right. guess that might be why I never saw it as sharking. Yeah, I mean, I I hear what you're saying. I've just seen a lot of people do it deliberately to slow down their opponent. And and people have told me that, so it's not, uh, it's not you know, I mean, people have told me they use it as a shark move. Oh, And that's okay. why I try not to look at it. That's why I try not to look at it that way because some people really do do that. <laughs> some people really are trying to group, but other people are like, you know, I need to slow this. I need to slow this person down. I need to go take a break. I haven't, you know, got any chance the way they're going. I need to get in their head. I mean, I've been told that that that's what people do. It's not right. It's not fair. But it's legal to take a break. <laughs> Well, is it any different than if your opponent's freewheeling, you taking longer at the table to try to throw them off their rhythm? Right. I mean, there's. I mean, we definitely know. We all know tricks or tips to use that can help us, and and everything that's legal to do. Um, you know, we can do. The problem is, is, and that's what I try to tell her, is that, you know, just don't let it affect you. Just don't let it bother you. Just look at it as things you can control and then also that, you know, it's in the right to do. Just don't let it get to you. Do you think a lot of that comes down to confidence? I think it can, for sure. I think for her, the reason why she reached out is because she hasn't been she hadn't been in a situation where three different people took a break on her when she jumped up on a match. And so she just, it really threw her off and it, and it threw off her rhythm, her rhythm. And so I think that, um, I think she's still confident. I think it just kind of confused her and shocked her that everyone kept doing it. But like I said earlier, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing really good and someone takes a break on me, it's not going to affect me because, you know, I'm playing good. I'm just going to wait and get back so I can I can beat on you some more. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm distracted, if I'm upset, if someone in the crowd is doing something or my mental game isn't strong or, you know, 
things like that, or if I'm upset at myself or missing, which means you're not focusing on the table anyway, then sometimes the break will, you know, affect me more. It depends on my, my mental game, I guess, at the time. Okay. You mentioned something before we um, started doing the interview about an upcoming uh, blog entry you were going to make about the level of opponents in a tournament and how that can affect you. I think it's interesting that a lot of people feel that, especially beginning beginner players, like maybe in the middle of, you know, like not beginners and not seasoned, but kind of in the middle. I think those type of players feel that they should play in a lot of tough tournaments all the time. And I, and I agree with that because that'll help you improve your game. But if you're not winning any matches and you're not winning any tournaments, you're just getting beat down all the time. And so when you just constantly get beat down, it doesn't make you want to go to the pool room. <laughs> and if you're not winning, you know, things, it's just, it's, it's just, it really makes you struggle and question you know, why am I doing this? Things like that. And so when I was in Vegas at a tournament for the ladies tour, actually, we used to, the ladies tour in Texas used to go to Vegas. And there was a girl named The Wiz there. And she told me, she's like, you know, Melinda, you need to play in weaker tournaments. <laughs> and I was a little offended. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? You know, and she says, you know, she goes, you're playing in all these tough tournaments, you know, weekly tournaments, regional tournaments, but you're not playing in any any weaker tournaments to where you can win because if you play in weaker tournaments and you win them, you're going to gain confidence because, because winning really does breed confidence and confidence really does breed winning. And so they all go hand in hand. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't think that <laughs> like they don't even, it doesn't even, it's not something that crosses their mind because you don't think, Oh, I should go play in this week tournament or I should play in this week league. I mean, there's something to be said to play in a league that doesn't have master players and all of a sudden you're the best player. You know what I mean? And, I mean, it, it, it causes amazing confidence. So when you start going to the other tournaments again, you start – it's amazing what the confidence can do for you just just by winning some matches or all of a sudden now you're the you know top player in the league, whereas – the Thursday league that has master player, you might be the last on the list. That doesn't help your confidence and that doesn't help you winning. But if you play in, I hate to say weak leagues, but we'll just say leagues that don't have top players, you know, you have more of a chance to win matches, which is going to help your confidence, which is going to help you win more. It's just an amazing cycle. When you were first telling me the idea, my thoughts went to, players getting into the mentality that they deserve or they're entitled to win money anytime they play in an event and how bad that is for their game and, and the game itself. But I think where you're coming from is the mindset of somebody who really does want to be the best player they can be. They're not just saying, you know, I'm a I'm an APA four and I deserve to win money because I'm playing in a tournament. It's, it's hard to explain, but when you just get beat down all the time and beat down all the time, it's tough to keep playing and you get frustrated. And then when you play in a tournament, that's not so tough with like all the master players or all the grandmaster players, 
and you know you finally see that you know what I can play this game and I can win some matches and I can win a tournament it just it helps you that confidence is amazing I mean you can see confidence with people who play pool you know the ones that are slouched over in the chair <laughs> that aren't even looking at the table or the ones that are sitting up straight and can't wait to get to the table you know there's a difference between those two players but I thought it was interesting when she told me she goes you need to play in weaker tournaments I'm like what <laughs> brutal but she was right i did i started doing that i started playing in weaker weekly tournaments and i started um i didn't play on the masters league and my confidence shot up because i was finally winning matches which i hadn't done in so long because i was playing two tough opponents now i'm not saying not to play tough matches or tough tournaments or anything like that because you know obviously the more tough players you play the higher your game is going to improve but you still got to give your chance to win sometimes to build that confidence up. Um, real quick, I know the new buzz will be out next week. Um, I know who your interview is this month, but I don't think our listeners do. <laughs> well, it's pretty cool. It's a female entrepreneur. Her name is uh, Tam Trin and she's uh, out of Austin and she, uh, creates custom cases and custom chalk holders and she'll even make you a holder for your chalk i mean your powder she'll uh she does all sorts of she does shirts she does all sorts of things and um so i was curious about her business how she got started she's also improved dramatically in her pool game it's pretty amazing actually and so of course i'm always cool how'd you do that you know so i wanted to ask her about that and um and actually her her reason is pretty interesting she uh she said that um she didn't feel like she was getting a lot out of her leagues and so she started playing in more she quit all of her leagues and was only playing in tournaments which i thought was really interesting i hadn't heard that before and that's how her games improved but anyway um she's super talented and she and she doesn't just like you know get a chalk holder and paint one side pink and maybe put a rhinestone you know (laughs) what she does is get like um she's gotten lots of specialized requests and so let's say someone wants i don't know i'm trying to think some some sports team with a bulldog or something and she'll get a little bulldog you know emblem and she'll put it on the chalk and she's had requests for military and for star wars and for breast cancer awareness and you know, just all sorts of things, a lot of sports things, by the way, <laughs> sports requests. But, um, and she does it all. I mean, she'll make a piece of chalk look like, you know, Star Wars theme, and she's got some cute cases that look like Dallas Cowboys, you know, and 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 it's her own business, and she does it herself. And, you know, I was trying to do the interview with her, and I'm like, I, you know, I sent you that interview, or you got to it. Oh, I'm sewing something. I'll, I'll get to you in a minute, you know. <laughs> it's like... She's just constantly doing stuff, and so it's really cool. And she gives back to the community, which is awesome as well. So she didn't just, you know, make all these things and sell them. She also donates a lot of things to causes and for people to raise money and stuff. So it's real interesting. Does she have a website? She does. I think it's uh, MsTam.com. I don't know. You have to look it up. I can't remember it. You can't look it up. You don't have internet at home. 
I know, and I'm on the phone with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you what, I will find the link, and I will put it in the notes to the show when I post it tonight. Thank you. I appreciate that. And my next person I'm interviewing is a female pro player. Now I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's funny because when I reach out to people and I'm like, you know, had like to interview, most of them say, you know, there's, I don't, I got nothing to say and it's not going to be interesting and just you wait and see. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> the type of questions I ask is not just all pool related. And so that's what, you know, that's like the one with Charlie Smith, you know, it wasn't just about pool, it was about him and his wife and what they've been through. All right. Well, I'm not going to keep you anymore today. Um, the The interview with Tam will be in the buzz next week, and I imagine we will be talking to you again within the next couple of weeks. Sure. That's what you said last time. <laughs> and, it, and it was. Well, I felt terrible about the whole, what was the word you used? Interrogated? Yeah. Yeah, that was, or yeah, either interrogated or inquisition, one or the other. Both. I used both. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> I liked it a lot, actually. An Inquisition. That was the other one. Inquisition. The Inquisition, yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure the listeners liked it, too. Well, thank you. All right. Melinda, we'll talk to you in the next uh, couple of weeks. And again, it's pooljourney.blogspot.com. And, and there's something new to read there almost every day. <laughs> Bye, everyone. That's all I got this week, everybody. Um, Not sure who will be on the show next week, but stay tuned right here, 7 o'clock, Arizona time, next Thursday night, and we'll have a new show for you to listen to. Until then, we're all thinking about you, Dave. Dave.